listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And joining me on the show today, I have Matt Cisneros. Matt is the founder of Backyard Ventures. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So I'm really interested in your business because you specialize in podcast advertising, but you also do other things as well. Can you tell us a little bit about Backyard Ventures and what you do? For sure. So Backyard started about four and a half years ago. I previously was head of sales for a publisher. And so I was more on the digital media side of things. And as you know, podcasting came in the scene in like 2014, 2015. And so at uh, my previous company, I learned a lot about podcasting and got really interested in it. And so fast forward a few years, I, I helped sell that company and launched Backyard 2019. And so we started as it was two podcasts and myself just hoping to be able to monetize those with kind of the background and understanding that I had. And it kind of just kept going, right? It was kind of a snowball effect of, of I always say, fear of failure. So working, you know, a little harder than I think most would. Um, I had just bought a new house, had a kid. And that'll do it. Obviously make things work. So yeah, we started with a few podcasts scaled and we had creators that had other mediums and other channels. And so just learned about other verticals that existed and turned it into an all-encompassing kind of partnerships monetization company. I love that. I know that podcasts are really great in terms of kind of building a campaign around podcast advertising, but obviously you can add other elements to the campaign as well. And so essentially what you're saying is that your content creators aren't just podcasters. They have other platforms where they're getting a lot of traffic. Uh, so you're able to facilitate a sponsorship or advertising buy across those. Is that the case? Absolutely. So what started is just placing, you know, individual spots, host red spots across the podcast. I ended up learning that obviously a lot of these buyers on the other side of the table don't handle just podcasts, right? So they're in the conversation, they're telling you they're really busy with also booking out all of their other campaigns. And so in doing that, I just got curious, I guess, and, and said, okay, like maybe we can figure this out. And so in inching one direction or the other, it kind of just led to more opportunity. And I know that you know, our creators were always like, we want more 360 approach. Absolutely. Well, what we noticed in, I say we, at that time, it was probably me and one other person, was if we can fill those holes and gaps, like we're kind of the one-stop shop and it keeps everybody really happy. So in doing that, I think I'll say what I'm good and bad at, like the good part was seeing opportunity and what I'm bad at is doing a hundred things at once, right? Because it's really hard to do so. And so I would run five or 10 deals and say, hey, there's opportunity here. Let's hire somebody to fill this void. Mm -hmm. And so continued to do that and making the company scalable. And my background, as I mentioned, came from the digital side and on the publisher side, you've got overhead expenses of a lot of employees that are content creators. Whereas, as you know, very well, like this business, it's the overhead's different, right? We're selling more, we're doing more partnerships. And so I figured I was like, if we can bring people on where there's an ROI per, you know, additional head, and we still can continue to grow revenue and connect the dots or, or the web that we kind of gotten ourselves in, there's a lot of opportunity. And so in doing that, I think we've done it really well. I smartly have hired people smarter than me to help grow the business and, you know, continue just those 360 approach opportunities, you know, where we can. Yeah, that's terrific. I know that 
something I hear from podcasters a lot is that they are looking for sponsors of the show. So I think every podcaster's dream would be that they sign up with a rep firm and the rep firm says, oh, hey, we just talked to Toyota and Toyota wants to sponsor your whole season. They want to do everything and we're just going to say it's brought to you by Toyota. They're going to be super happy. Um, and I'm curious because you're doing more integration across platforms, if that's more sellable, because for us, it's really challenging um, at True Native, especially if we're working with a podcaster that's fairly new, um, maybe doesn't have established relationships. Toyota isn't super likely to say like, yeah, that's, let's go ahead and sponsor this show. And so I think podcasters sometimes can feel a little disillusioned. But I have seen that with brands, when you can say, hey, you've got the podcast, we're also going to include you in the newsletter, we're also going to include you in YouTube, um, we're going to do a big social push, that there can be more opportunity for them to do something like a blanket sponsorship. Do you see more of that because you're able to work across multiple platforms? We do. And your example is hilarious because literally Friday, I had a call about Toyota being a dream sponsor for one of our new clients that we're bringing on. Yeah. So we do, right? So for instance, you know, yesterday we launched a campaign with Ryan Holiday and, and Hoka Shoes, and that's one that's across, you know, every medium, right? So I don't think Hoka's team or budget would have been podcast specific. And as you know, you probably hear a lot of people saying like, we're looking into podcasts, but we're not there yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So in, in this Hoka, for example, in this Hoka deal that we did, that allows them to get into podcasts some, but also they get to hit the newsletter, they get to hit the YouTube, the social, all of those things. And so kind of the all-encompassing package just fits the mold better for a brand that's non-traditional in the podcast space, mm -hmm. whereas others may just be like, it just it isn't a fit because we don't do just podcasts. The other thing too is I think it's allowed us to branch into kind of trust and relationships with brands that weren't typically spending in the podcast space. So you know, we have people tell us like, hey, we saw you did Hoka. How did that happen? And so it's, it's that trust that we now have with the other side being Hoka to say, cool, this was successful. We trust you guys. Do you okay. want to bring us some other opportunities? And so it's really just building that relationship, which is what the business really is. I mean, generic and cheesy as it may sound, but like we really are in the partner space, the, the connector space, everything else falls into place. And so part of that to your uh, disillusion mention of potentially the creator is you also need them to understand that does Toyota really get an ROI on your show if they spend $200,000 with you and there's no other sponsors for that season or whatever it may be? Likely not, right? So mm -hmm. it's a lot of education that goes into place of saying, think of both sides. Would you spend money to promote your show with X, Y, or Z? And sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, but I think it's it's really the education on both sides of setting people up for success. And as you know very well, not getting that quick hit, money in, and then you're just done, right? Right. That's not good that's for anyone. the worst. For sure. And it's also, I mean, as you know, it's, it's a small space, right? Even though it's a, it's a growing medium, everyone kind of is one friend away from the next in this space. So yeah. you don't really want to tarnish your name by saying you kind of pulled the wool over someone's eyes and, and had a quick <laughs> deal. The most uh, successful or I guess sexy thing you could say is that Oh, they they're on their third year of renewal or whatever it may be. That so is the most. That's the sexiest it's, thing you can amazing. say in this space. You're right. Totally. And then from a 
business operator perspective, that lessens concentration, that's consistent revenue. You can actually forecast better. Mm-hmm. So it's in everyone's best interest for it to work and not just take that quick hit because as many people have seen, you know, you get those quick hits and then the creator might be like, why didn't they renew? Then suddenly you're not doing your job correctly because you didn't educate everybody as to how it should work properly. Right. Uh, what are the KPIs, right? So all those things that go into it are much bigger than just, hey, uh, we're paying an X CPM across wide downloads. Here's a deal. That's not for the longevity of, of benefit of anybody. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think kind of going back to some of the elements that you said at the beginning, with an advertiser, if you're an advertiser and you're already buying social, if you're already buying newsletter, if you're already buying YouTube, but you're maybe a little more tentative about podcasting, it does seem like it makes a ton of sense to say, hey, we're just going to we're going to put the podcasting in because it really is a great you know, medium, but it's warming them up with other mediums that they're already familiar with, that they already have budget allocated for. And I think, I really think, especially when we're talking about content creators, it makes so much sense because if I listen to your podcast, chances are I probably do follow you on social media. I probably do get your newsletter. Maybe I like to watch your YouTube, right? So when we talk about multiple impressions, and of course, the positioning is going to be slightly different each time then it doesn't feel like I'm just hearing this audio ad over and over, but I'm getting multiple impressions on this brand with this, you know, campaign. And I could see a lot of success happening with that. Totally. And I think I am fortunate to have come from a digital background because we were always pitching kind of the platform agnostic approach. So when you get to that on the podcast side, you're doing that in an education format saying like, you're going to pay for this banner ad or whatever, maybe elsewhere for an impression. Like, why not really put yourself in a position to have the audience see you multiple times? Because it's it's fandom, it's influence. It's not just, if you're going to download a podcast and go through the process of learning about a show, downloading it, actually listening to it, committing time, we're in a pretty busy world. So every hour that you allocate, someone can actually say, my hour was worth this much money. And so what are you getting out of that? And so if somebody's influencing you on something, I guess two components here. One, there's value because you're saying something that they care about. Two, if a brand is partnering with you and it's genuine, it's not something you don't actually like, it's an actual genuine partnership. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of value for that brand to integrate themselves across any medium possible because you not only gained a fan, but you gain influence from somebody who is looked up to by you know all of his or her followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've been surprised and I'm curious because obviously you have built Backyard kind of around this idea of integration. I've been surprised at how few podcasters have other channels that they pursue. Um, I know that we really encourage the host to look at what are the other things that you're doing and are you building an email newsletter? Are you working on social media? Where is YouTube kind of in your strategy? But it feels to me like we talk to podcasts often where it's like they just podcast and that's kind of it. Have you found it difficult to find those kind of influencers that are creating content across multiple platforms and succeeding, right? Because sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, I got a YouTube channel and 50 people watch my video, you know? So, you know, is it challenging for you to find those content creators that really can reach a good audience across platforms? I would say yes and no, right? So on some of them, we're not necessarily looking for who has all aspects. So Mm. for instance, there's somebody I spoke to the other day who's kind of a niche 
golf newsletter. You say niche, but if you're a fan of golf, you're pretty in. And so when you get someone like that, who our typical onboarding of a newsletter would be like 100,000 opens, mm-hmm. this guy had 50,000. But when you're getting that many diehard people, like, as you know, conversions on niche stuff is really high. And so he might have a Twitter account with a few hundred thousand, a newsletter with call it 50,000 opens. But we then have that conversation of like, hey, let's sell your newsletter. Let's make you some money so that you can utilize those funds to build out a YouTube, to build out a podcast, all of these things, because you're making zero dollars currently, right? There's no AdSense on on a newsletter like YouTube. Mm-hmm. For YouTube, it's saying, hey, do we, like, how do we build this? Who would be a good co-host? All those things as well. And we have, I feel like we do a really good job at educating each of the creators as to what actually makes sense to get them to the next point of a vertical. Mm-hmm. And so some of them that might have a big YouTube want to do a podcast, we say, cool, we can handle your programmatic. We can help you with guests. We can do all of these things, set you up for success. So that at the very least, you're widening your visibility as a creator. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really important for, you know, as well as I do, there are a million podcasts out there that are literally waking up right now, having their coffee creating a podcast and, you know, they end their day whenever they do, not saying they don't work hard, but, and they're able to pay their way. Right. So there's so many that we don't even know yeah, um, true. that might do that. I didn't, they randomly have a Twitch or they randomly have a, you know, whatever, a, a Patreon. And so and that all adds up. They can truly create enough money to pay for their lives. Mm-hmm. Those are so many we don't know about. And so as those grow, I think it allows Backyard to have an opportunity because we're doing it across the board. And then we get these intros because people are like, well, they can do X, Y, and Z. And so I wouldn't say we're searching on a broad scale day to day, but I think we're fortunate that we've done it well enough that we do get a lot of intros from people that say like, hey, he has X, Y, and Z. Can you please help? And so we're just in a fortunate position that we did it early. And I think we're well connected, but it's really hard to seek out somebody who imagine building a football team. And it's like, we need this player to be the smartest, the fastest, right. you know, the whatever it's, you're not going to get all of those qualities across every single creator. But I think it's just if monitoring the ones that you can do that for sure. uh, and just kind of filling the gaps otherwise and, and hoping they fill out as things rise as a whole. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So diving in a little bit more um, specifically on podcast advertising, what has your experience been with new advertisers into this space? If somebody came to you and said, Hey, Matt, like I want to create a podcast campaign, but I've never done it before. How should I create a campaign? What would you say? Like, what are some of your recommendations? Totally. And so we do this all the time. We immediately tell them like, whether you want to work with us or not, we want to educate you. So we will literally say, how much do you want to spend? Right? So we had a brand the other day that surprisingly, I mean, their first campaign was 50,000 bucks. And for a brand who's never done that before, that's pretty impressive. And so... We tell them, we're like, given the, the tools that you likely have as well, you know, all the backend access to who's, who's spending where, like, what it'll look like brands, all those things. And I immediately tell them, I say, make generically, like, make a mood board, right? Like, what brands are you like? What brands are you not? And that doesn't mean that, like, is Athletic Greens, like, organified? It means, does Athletic Greens identify with Hoka, who identifies with brand X or whatever, but also sure. say who you're not, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we spend a fair amount of, I by no means want to say free time or free advice, but like, that's just part of, I think, rising the industry. Mm -hmm. And so we have them send us brands that they're like, brands that they're not. 
And we then pull a bunch of comps for them and say, hey, here are the types of shows that, uh, that are getting renewed across. We say Athletic Greaves as an example, right? And so we're telling them like, here's who's performing well because they're getting renewals. And so here's a niche that maybe you didn't know of. Hey, we have, on our roster, we have seven shows that are like that, but we can refer you to 10 others that we don't work with or whatever it may be. And so we're, we also see ourselves as like kind of media planners, right? Like that's part of our expertise because we want you to come back to us. We want you to also speak highly of us because we're helping you during a time that you don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so in a non-braggy way, I mean, I think they see us as almost like, I know a couple of brands for sure see us as almost consultants, right? Sure. Like they keep coming back to us and say, what are your thoughts here? Like, what do we do here? And mm-hmm. on my end, that's just what the company was built on. It's, it's connecting, educating, and, and trying to make this a, just an industry that has longevity and opportunity. And so mm-hmm. I think if we're not even forefront, if we're just good people, and we do what you would want from somebody else, mm-hmm. ideally, but you're not going to ask for it. Like things typically work out. So I would say that was a long answer, but to shorten that, you know, we try to help them plan however possible and know that we, if we can be a resource and we can be a subject matter expert, then they're going to come back to us. And it's, just, it's likely going to pan out for us long term. I think that that is absolutely 100%, you know, something that I agree with and subscribe to myself because it is. It's there is a, you know, rising tides, raise all ships kind of mentality. And especially yep. in podcasting, when it still feels like uncharted territory a bit. And if you're a brand new brand, you've never been in podcast advertising, you don't know exactly where to go. You know, as much as we all love podcasting and we're here talking about it, it can be difficult to navigate and it can totally. be difficult to know exactly where to go. And but I, I think that that's such a great idea. You're the first person I've ever heard talk about the idea of kind of like a mood board for other brands, because I do feel like what happens so often with first-time advertisers is they say, we're a supplement. That means we need to advertise on health shows. And I, it's not that they shouldn't advertise on health shows, but I remember Glenn from Adopter had, had said when I interviewed him, which I thought was so, so smart is that if you are listening to a health show and you hear an ad for supplements, like, hey, that's great, but chances are you probably already take supplements, right? right. Um, if you're that type of a person that you're all gung-ho in on health, yeah, like maybe hearing about something new might be good, but oftentimes that target that seems so obvious is one that is already potentially saturated in purchasing your product. And what I love about what you're talking about is it's creating that commonality between brands. And as you said, if I know that as a company, I identify really well that my same customer is also buying organic sheets, then let's look at what that organic sheet company is doing in terms of where are they advertising. Because if you're sharing that customer, that really allows you to see where they've had success. And as you said, from a planning perspective, many of the companies that you can work with out there like Backyard Ventures or True Native Media, we should be able to go in and say, oh, well, this company is spending X number of dollars on these shows and have seen success here, right? And so then we can say, oh, well, this would be a really good similar show, or maybe it's the same show that they're seeing success on. Because part of what it is that I think we're still struggling with in this space is ultimately it's about reaching the people who are going to purchase your products and services. And we still don't have as transparent 
demographic information on listeners as I wish we did. And so right. I, I do think that can present challenges sometimes because reaching the correct end buyer is what's going to create success. And if we're not reaching the person that's going to purchase your product, we're not going to see success there. So I really think using tools like that, I'm sure, are really helpful. Absolutely. And I think as a whole, it's just, you know, I think we all get so busy day to day in what we're doing and you almost forget that there are nuances that you may not know, or they're just new sayings. And so mm-hmm. when you take a step back and you're like, okay, I'm putting a dollar in, or I only have a hundred dollars to spend. Like, how do I do it? You don't necessarily like spray and pray, right? If you have a budget, like that's not the way you would do it. Test micro, see what works and see whether niches might work. And you try to infiltrate those to get a good performance. But also I've told many companies this, like you're likely going to light some money on fire and that's not fun. Nobody wants to hear that. But Mm -hmm. if you take a slow approach or you're fine by that, you're fine by awareness, which as you and I would probably both agree, we want every campaign to be awareness, right? Because everybody wins. But uh, as a whole, it's like, yeah, it's like, we don't want to taint your feeling about podcast advertising because out of the hundred dollars, 98 of them were lit on fire, right? Two actually gave you some good feeling to return to that. You're likely not going to return if that's your success rate. So mm-hmm. I think just trying to empower them to make small right decisions that are grand scheme going to be beneficial for the company. It, it's almost like you're an internal consultant for the marketing team just saying, here's what I would do. And it just, it pans out. So I think, you know, just having that that relationship goes a long way. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, I, I think it's really challenging with advertising because realistically, if there were a sure thing, then every company would just dump money in, right? So like if we knew, hey, we could put $100 in and we're going to get 150 back, who wouldn't do that, right? Like everybody's going right. to do that all day long. And it's advertising is obviously important, period, to growing a company, but there are so many nuances to how it's done and how it's executed. And I think one of the challenges I find sometimes, especially with new advertisers, is that there is this expectation going into the campaign that it's going to perform wonderfully. And I love that you're approaching it by saying, hey, you're probably going to burn some money because you probably are. You know, the first right. campaign that you run and maybe even the first few campaigns you run is about getting results ultimately, but it's also about learning what works and what doesn't. And when we think about a campaign, we not only have to think about our target audience, like we've already talked about, but we have to think about what kind of talking points are we giving the host? What kind of product samples are we giving them? What is our call to action? And then how is that call to action translated into me actually going onto the website I mean, I get so frustrated sometimes because I'll have advertisers in the podcast space. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to use their promo code. I'm going to make all this work. And I try to buy the product. And it just turns out to be such a big hassle to figure out even how to buy the product using the code. Or I go on the site and it's like, oh, well, I was going to get 10% off of the code. But there's a pop up that says I can get 15% off if I just push right here. You know, so all of those are really important things for advertisers to consider when you're approaching it. And if you can look at each campaign and say, hey, these are the things that I'm going to learn in this campaign. When this campaign ends, we're going to iterate again and we're going to take those findings and perfect. 
That's what you do with every sort of advertising, right? Whether it's social Mm -hmm. media, whether it's digital, you're always looking at what's working and what's not working, trying to test as much as possible to improve each campaign. And it sounds like you guys are really coaching people through that. Definitely. And, you know, we've worked with brands, whether it's somebody who's been in the space for a while or a new one, and let's say it's a new one, we will take the best copy that we've ever gotten. We'll say five of them. And we say, hey, here's what we really think would work well for you. Don't give us 50 points to where someone's trying to fit this in in 60 seconds and the consumer is just like, gosh, this is an ad, right? Like make it an integration, make it something that actually feels like a partnership. For instance, Bird Dogs Shorts, right? Like they've gotten into mm-hmm. podcast advertising. We were the first somebody they ever worked with to do this. And we told them, we were like, y'all are a fun company. A, I don't want to say non-serious, but like it's kind of satirical fun. Sure. And I told them, I was like, give your, you know, one second spiel and then a CTA. Besides that, like your fun vibe of the company is to get the host to make it as fun as possible in their voice. And it worked, right? So mm-hmm. it, not saying we're so smart for doing that, but I think somebody coming out of a big agency who's been doing this for 20 years is going to see like, no, we have to hit this, this, and this. Right. Well, what you really want to hit is conversion, right? Because you want to make money for the company. And so it's like, let's A-B test some stuff. Let's not get overwhelmed by what these points are to where the person talking literally has to do 10 takes because they just can't get all the words out. Down to, we've had campaigns where we get a phone call from, you know, the, the head of the campaign and they say, it just bombed for everyone. What are your, you know, what are your thoughts? And we go back and look at the copy and we're like, there's 70 points. You go to the website, there's an immediate pop-up. There's the, the UI or UX just is not great. Like all of those things are, are feedback points that you may have told the client, but they didn't take, I don't know, you know, the backend conversations, but it wasn't set up for success, right? Mm-hmm. Like, tell me why it's a cool product. Tell me why it's different. Tell me what the deal is. And that's what gets people considering, oh, we should do this. On top of that, it's like, it's not going to be successful if you want to test one spot. It's not going to work. Right. So, you know, we need some frequency and and we're oftentimes saying like, hey, here's the frequency we think would work for this campaign because of X, Y, or Z. Or we have this guest coming on that's, it really complements your product or whatever it may be, right? So like, let's find, it's more work, no doubt, but like, let's find those reasons as to why it will be successful rather than just hoping the natural audience is going to gravitate toward your product and say, okay, cool, it worked or didn't. Because I would argue, and this is without any fact, I would say 50% of campaigns, there likely could have been something altered to make it better, right? Sure. So, so why not take that little bit additional time for everyone? Because what does that do? That means you have less outreach for new partners. That means you're working with somebody, I mean, all the way to your finance accounting department. They don't have to set up somebody new in the system. There's all of those components that go into it in an economic you know, view, it's like time value money. If you do it well the first time, you're giving it the best shot of success, like your likelihood of success rate is going to be higher than not. So right. I think in setting those things up that way and having people along the way to do that within the business, it, it makes things so much more uh, successful as a whole. And also, as you said, like, you know, rising tide, like then people aren't scared or turned off by podcasting. They're more inclined to do it and do it more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you mentioned frequency in there, and I feel like that's a conversation I know we've been having with a lot of our agency partners lately. Are you doing dynamic ad insertion at Backyard Ventures? 
We are. So we do Postgres and, you know, DI. <laughs> and are you finding that, you know, I, I think one of the challenges a little bit with dynamic insertion is the frequency and uh, you want to get enough frequency in front of your audience that they know about the product, that they've heard it. But there also can be a burnout factor where, you know, they've, they're like, gosh, I've heard about this product so many times yep. or I've heard the same ad 10 times. You know, we've all been there where we're like, not this ad again, right? So when you're advising someone, is there is there a frequency number that you feel like is the right frequency number or how how do you determine that? So like from a copy point perspective or from the perspective of do you run it on every episode that week? Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm curious about both because I do think that there's a couple of different ways of looking at it, right? Where it's like with mm. um, with dynamic insertion, we can say, hey, anybody who listens to this podcast within this time period is going to hear your ad. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with hearing about Hoka five times this week, maybe. But do I want to hear the exact same ad five times? Totally. Whereas maybe I heard the Hoka ad where they talk about how you can stand longer in them. Or maybe I hear a Hoka ad where they talk about how it heals foot issues or whatever, right? So right. it's like totally. you could use different angles and I'm okay hearing different ad reads for the same company. I always think about progressive. Like they do so many like they have such a wide range of ads. You know, it's like Geico's going to have the lizard, right? So every time we're going to see that lizard, totally. whereas Progressive has so many different takes and they've done some ads that are just super humorous. And so I might be sitting there watching TV and see three Progressive ads back to back. But if they're all three different, yeah, like, I mean, at the end of it, am I going to be like, okay, Progressive, like, obviously you bought some remnant inventory here. Yeah, sure. but... Also, I'm going to pay attention. Whereas if it's the exact same ad three times back to back, I'm going to be like, dude, <laughs> stop, right? right? No. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? So I think this is where we're really good at on both sides, right? We tell the brand, like, give us a handful of copy points or just if it's limited copy points, like let us kind of free flow. And then we tell our creators, like, we're very, very, I don't want to say good. We're good at it, but we're very adamant about saying this is a partnership, right? So mm -hmm. if you were spending your dollars on the exact same thing, would you want to hear the exact same ad over and over and over? And so we're like, hey, maybe let's do two, right? This is going to be a six-week campaign. We can mix it up here and there. And we're inserting it, you know, oftentimes. So I think it's really just reminding them, like, if we want this to be successful, let's take a step back. The goal here, right, is to have the least amount of partners possible and make the most money possible. How do we do that? Let's solve for that. And so let's, I like, love that goal. Really, totally. I mean, you put it, if, once again, if you do it right the first time, the likelihood and probability of success is just so much higher. And so, you know, we try to tell them and, and we do have creators, as you know, creators can be easy to work with. They can be hard to work with. Some, True. some of the harder ones are actually the smaller ones. And some of the easier ones are good ones. It just, it, there's no rhyme or reason, but mm -hmm. you know, some kind of stand, stand tall and say, nope, here's what we're doing. And that's the best you're going to get. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas others are like, we forget that we are smart in what we're doing because we're still here and we're still doing it. Right. That's, that speaks for you. That speaks for me. Um, and so I think having that consultative process or thinking of here's what's going to set it up for success i know you might think it's a pain and it's going to take three more minutes to record another spot but like when we send that to the brand and we say we went out of our way to do it 
different or better than the other person from somewhere else that you just paid money to? Where do you think they're going to be excited? Where do you think their dollars are going to go? And so once again, it's just setting it up for success and not mailing it in and saying, no, well, you know, if this uh, mm-hmm. insurance company doesn't pan out, there's the next one. If this, whatever doesn't pan out, there's the next one. Like that's so exhausting to the audience and it's just not fun for anybody. And so I really do think doing a couple if you can, but then also frequency of release, right? Say we're selling a hundred thousand for a week and they've got three episodes or four episodes. Like we're not going to inundate that catalog more than probably like 40 or 50% mm-hmm. in terms of of the episodes, right? So we don't want somebody who's listening every single day to hear the same thing. Like we'll flight it over weeks rather than one week because it's just going to get old. Um, yes. And you need to change, you need to change that, that ad or that copy or whatever it is mm-hmm. in the same way. And this is, I'm now making a bunch of random examples or, you know, I mentioned the football team, but when you were dating your husband, right? Did he say the exact same thing every day? And that's what got you excited <laughs> to see him the next time. It's like, no, right? Like it was new and it was fresh and it was exciting. And to the progressive mention, um, or sorry, Geico. Yeah, I am not currently looking for insurance, but the fact that ad is in my head and that little gecko that they pay zero dollars because they created it, like it's actually making a wave in my head to say, oh, that's a cool thing. Like I'm interested in it, right? So it's like what splash or differentiator can be made on right. the brands and the creators and you know, whoever to just be a little better and make that small adjustment that makes people say, huh, that's, that's of interest to me. I actually want to buy this product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. What mistakes do you see brands making when they advertise in podcasts? Do you feel like there are some common errors? I do at times. I mean, I think particular, let's say a brand goes to an agency or a brand's holding it, you know, internally. I think trying to utilize the same methodology that they have for Facebook or any other medium that they're spending money on. Mm-hmm. They're different, right? Like everything's different. You might make 2X on Facebook and a blended, you know, whatever X on on podcast. But it's also like you're getting people that are very data-driven from a meta standpoint, mm-hmm. walking into a new medium, trying to not allow others who are very smart in the space give their suggestions or do their things. And so if it doesn't work, my hope is they're going to reflect and say, okay, cool, let's try this next time, rather than needing to be right off one methodology. And so I think just not being open to change or adapting the way things are done in a podcast or YouTube or newsletter manner is really important, right? Like, let's let people do what's best. And, you know, we have one of our clients who has a newsletter. People are always like, we want it at the top, right? And we're like, okay, like you want it at the top, but He's never done it at the top. We've had a ton of really successful campaign. At the bottom is kind of like his wrap up. And then it becomes your logo as to what the deal is. And if you think about it, like in a newsletter standpoint, you see that, but then you consume the rest of the content. So are you going to go back to the top and then think about the ad? No, like you're probably going to finish it and be like, depending upon what the content is like, oh, that felt great. Oh, cool. Hoka shoes. I should probably start running. You know, like my heart may be, I'm just random correlation there, but separate of that, and this is podcast, YouTube, newsletter, whatever it may be, is associating brands with content types, right? So Ryan Holiday, for instance, we've done a ton of things with, with eight sleep and, you know, we've done content around the benefit of sleep, around meditation, around all those things that are complementary to the brand that we're putting in there mm-hmm. rather than just 
you know, some random brand that is nothing related to that content right. type, you're not going to connect those two things. And so I think it's, it's tying it back into your question. It's, it's telling these new brands that are getting into the space, like, let's get creative and allow us to also have the ability to bring ideas to you that you're open to because show X is not the same as show Y. They should have different probably call to actions right. or just different explanations to what what the audience is going to consume in a manner that allows them to then say, I like this product. So I think it's just having autonomy with that brand. Um, so you can, once again, go back to the education process, but also say, cool, they might just know what they're doing super well. And they've done it so long that we're like, we like your playbook. We want to take it. But also like, let's have that open dialogue. I got off the phone with, you know, her well, Hillary Ross yesterday from, from Veritone. And, you know, I love that every time we finish a conversation, it's, what can we do better? That's mm-hmm. something she's asked for as many years as I've known her. And she's and I very really good at asking that question, isn't she? She is. She is. And she's, you know, she's awesome. It just all things for the betterment of the industry. Mm-hmm. And so when she asked that question, we're able to actually give feedback. And we asked the exact same question. And when we're able to say like, well, things are stagnant here. And it's not that we're asking for money. It's that we're just like, we, we want to work with you guys and not go to a competitor, but like, where does it stand? Right. So it's just having that open dialogue and them becoming better because of it, us becoming better because of their feedback and just working toward, you know, a neutral success or solution for, for everyone. So a long winded answer to your initial question of just mistakes. I think it's just generally like not needing to be the know-it-all or, or having a playbook when everyone does things differently. And if we were to all cover our eyes and say, hand it over and you're going to have a 10x return, would you say, no, we want to do it our way? Or would you say like, do whatever it takes to just make it successful within the parameters of our morals and ethics of the company. But as long as it maintains within those guidelines, it should make it work, right? And and that's why you're buying into an audience for that fandom or that tie to the host. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that perspective too, that I think is a very natural thing to do. But when brands or advertisers come and they say, well, I've done this in other mediums, so I should do this here too. And it's like, well, they're different, right? It's you can't, they're apples and oranges. You can't Mm -hmm. uh, say that just because this worked in social media, it's going to work in podcasting. So I do think it's really important to look at each medium differently and approach how that, not only how that medium works, but also, as you said, like, we're not buying radio here. Like we're buying something where this is an individual content creator and one podcast could be executed totally different than another podcast, right? Like if you've got a five minute daily show, you're going to buy that different than you would, you know, a two hour long bi-weekly or bi-monthly show where they go deep dive into some, you know, criminal case or something, right? Like they're very, they're different. And I think that sometimes that's one of the disservices that we do to the industry is we say it's podcasting, but Mm -hmm. that can mean different things from a content perspective. Um, And I I do think that different content should be also approached differently when it comes to making buys. For sure. And and there's particular brands, right? Like, for instance, everyone's seen Manscaped everywhere. That over, I mean, how many years now? Like since podcasting began, essentially. Long time, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a that's a sell. That's like okay, like men, body hair, whatever. Like it's very easy to digest what the intention of that is. Mm-hmm. If you are made in cookware, right? Like they're also based out of Austin, amazing company, very high quality. It's not it's not 
inexpensive. It's, it's a high dollar product. Mm-hmm. For them, podcasting didn't work very well because it's a visibility product, right? Mm-hmm. You need to see that this is elevated. It is nicer. What's the setting that this is being done in when the, when the pot or pan is, is being shown on video, right? So for them, it's like you want either YouTube channels or you want a simulcast that's large in video because you get that feeling or emotion or whatever behind you as to what the setting is. Words can't say that, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're using some big name some chef of like trusted by so-and-so like you can say that all day but if that's all you're standing on it's it's not your product you're just utilizing a third party to endorse it so for someone like them they see a ton of success in tv Mm -hmm. why it's because you're hitting the audience who household income is x uh they're willing to spend on these things they also once again go back to the mood board they know that they also probably drive a a luxury suv or they live in you know wherever like it's they know their audience. And so they need to go gravitate toward that when they're making those purchases or spending those dollars and podcasting just might not be it. And so I think it's also knowing that because person came from Manscaped and went to this company, like that doesn't necessarily work for every single brand. It's mm-hmm. how does your brand fit into podcasting and then reverse engineer that to make it successful and in right. turn generate sales. I do like that approach actually a lot to think about how does your company fit into podcasting? Because each company does have a unique selling proposition and elements around them that are marketing tactics that work. And I think to your point, something that is really simple is easier to sell oftentimes, right? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. it just clicks, people get it. Yeah, it's all all really interesting. Well, Matt, just to kind of wrap us up, I'm curious, uh, what kind of predictions do you have for the industry? Where do you feel like podcast advertising is headed? I feel like the industry is going to be very... I don't know if the middle is the right word, but as we talked about earlier, there's going to be a lot of people that you're like, I don't even know that show. Mm. Um, as, as we've all seen, Joe Rogan, Caller Daddy, all those people, they get these huge, huge guarantees. Those are running out, right? Like those aren't going to be able to continue. You can't, maybe for a Rogan, but for a lot of these shows that, that were bigger, but not Rogan size, and they're getting these seven-figure guarantees, that's going to slow down. And so I think as a whole, a business like True Native or Backyard, like, we will become more successful because there are going to be a lot of shows that need help. I then think brands will then say, okay, cool. We can go not spend six figures on integrations just wanting to get to Rogan, right? We, we wanted to get to somebody who's got a 40,000 download podcast and they're influential to 40,000 people. And building our business, we always say we would rather 10, 50,000 download shows than one 500,000 download show. It lessens concentration. and It opens up opportunity for more brands to come in see what works for one or two or three and then transition them to the other six or seven. Mm-hmm. And so I think it will, the, the dollars are going to continue to grow. I think it's only currently, you know, within a couple percent of marketing spend as a whole, it's going to grow. I think people in the current climate are pulling back dollars as you've probably seen as well. And they're, they're ensuring that things are going to work. They're doing less tests, but I think if things work well, they're going to hone in on those and, and double and triple down. Mm-hmm. But once again, I think it's, it's knowing that there are so many brands that haven't even hit the space yet. And right. the opportunity is very, very big, but it's ensuring that we're not getting lazy and we're doing all the things you and I have spoken about, you know, in this last period of time, it's doing it right for the industry, proving the relationship value and how do people trust you? And so when you bring on new shows, those brands who have tighter budgets because things are tighter right now are going to trust those players that they've dealt with for one or two or three years Mm -hmm. and 
there's opportunity to, to, to grow rosters in a right way and not have to do it for the sake of revenue, right? So I think if you don't chase revenue and you do things correctly, all of our businesses will be fine and successful, but with the caveat that we know dollars are becoming more conservative because for so long people are just throwing dollars at podcast advertising. So I think it's essentially, I'm cautiously optimistic and a conservative approach, knowing that if we do what we do well, things are going to pan out, you know, as well as it would have in any other environment or, or time. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like the economy has been so strange this year because it's like, I keep mm-hmm. thinking, is it bad or is it not? Is it bad or is it can right. I quite tell? And I don't think anybody else can either. So it's been, it's been an interesting year for sure. For sure. It has. And, and as I mentioned, though, I think if you can unlock those doors that are new to this, yeah. then, you know, that's, that's a big opportunity. And so I think you and I befriending one another, everybody else in the industry befriending one another, like these are friendships and relationships the same way that they are with the brands, right? This is for the betterment of the industry and it's to ensure that we all can be successful. And I will happily make an introduction to anybody that's that's ever needed if it means that we can all win, right? So yep. I think if we're on the same page in, in that initiative, then there's there's no reason we shouldn't all be you know productive and successful. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to reach you, where's a good place for them to find you? So my email is matt at wearebv.com, W-E-A-R-E-B-V.com, or uh, Google Becker Adventures Podcast, first thing that pops up. And yeah, LinkedIn, obviously, Matt Cisneros. But yeah, shoot me an email. I'm all ears, happy to help however I can. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have. And if you would like to learn more about podcast advertising, head on over to truenativemedia.com. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry. 